Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, I'm glad that you are here with us today in this beautiful, beautiful, sunny, drippy weather. Don't you just love it? It's a beautiful thing, such a beautiful thing. You know, I, I, I was told one time that it takes, depending on the size of the baptismal pool, it takes hundreds, maybe even thousands of gallons to make somebody a Baptist. But it only takes a few raindrops to keep them from church. I don't know where I heard that for the first time. But we're glad you're here, and we're glad those of you who decided to join us at, at home are, are with us today. Before we begin message time, I want to share just a couple of, um, we'll call them strategic initiatives. They're really announcements, but they sound better when you say strategic initiatives, don't they? These are announcements on steroid. We'll put it that way. Okay? First one is this. We have our family meeting. We have a quarterly family meeting tonight um, at 545. We'll meet here in this space. And uh, for those of you that may be new to River Bluff, that's like a Baptist business meeting. But if you're used to old-style Baptist business meeting, it's not. Uh, we mostly pray. That's mostly what we do at our, at our family meetings. And so I'd encourage you to come out and be a part of that. We pray for what God is doing, what we're seeing on the horizon that we believe God's drawing us into. And so we, we take time to pray. Tonight, we do have one matter of business that we've got to conduct, and that is the, um, to vote on our annual church budget. You should have received one if you're a member of, of River Bluff, if you joined our church. Uh, you should have a copy of that that was mailed to you, and so we'll be um, bringing that tonight, um, looking for uh, hopefully an affirmation from the body. A uh, second thing that I want to uh, talk about for just a quick second is what is called the Circle of Welcome Ministry here at River Bluff. It's a very new ministry. Uh, Molly Owens is the team leader of that ministry. It's one of those ministries that has started for a very specific purpose, may have an end to it unless God sees fit to keep it going for some other reason, but the Circle of Welcome Ministry um, is, was created to help us uh, be a part of the effort to wel welcome Afghan refugees into the Charleston area. And so we've been told recently that there are going to be about 40 Afghan refugees coming into the Charleston area, possibly next week. We made a commitment to be a part of that and to uh, try to bless a, a family and so we've been assigned a family. Uh, they should be here, we're told, um, this coming week. And uh, there are a lot of preparations that still have to take place, a lot of moving parts to this ministry. And so we continue to need help. Now, God has put together a wonderful team of volunteers in this ministry from River Bluff. Some of you are a part of that, I know. Um, God has also brought another church to unite with us, Hope Church, uh, up off of... Uh, what, Oakbrook? What is that? Uh, uh, Trolley Road, a fellowship of Oakbrook is where they meet. I knew there was an Oakbrook tie there. Um, and then uh, another uh, community church, house church out of uh, Westcott, and just some folks from the community that heard we were doing this that wanted to help. And so uh, it's not too late to be a part of that if you want to be a part of it. One of the things we want you to do is, is pray. Um, there are all kinds of uh, pieces to this that you can be involved in. And I'm going to ask Pastor Dave if he'd come up and maybe fill in some of the gaps that I've left out um, about this ministry, and then to take a moment to pray both for this family and then for us as we seek to minister. Thank you, Joe. Uh, as Joe said, we do have a team of volunteers from River Bluff and, and from other churches and from the community, and the name of that team is called the Circle of Welcome. And so when we go to help this Afghan refu refugee family transition to life, not only here in the United States, but life here in Charleston specifically, there's a lot involved with that. If you can imagine being taken from your country here, the United States, being taken to a completely different culture. There's a whole new learning curve that goes along with that. So part of the serving this family and helping them is going to be helping them in practical ways to learn about our culture, 
but there's also some other tangible ways that we'll be able to help them. They'll um, be housed more than likely in an apartment complex, and so we'll need to furnish that um, apartment. We'll need to have housewares and household goods to help them make this transition and live um, normal everyday life. And so one of the things that we'll be doing here over the next couple weeks, probably even the next month, is we'll be posting on the realm as we have these needs to see if there are people who might have a set of pots and pans or, or dishware or other household goods, practical things like that that we can um, gather and then help this refugee family with. So be, be keeping your eye on the, the posts that will be coming out from the realm. Also, uh, and more importantly, we would covet your prayers for this family as they make this transition. We would covet your prayers for this Circle of Welcome volunteer team as um, we seek to be a blessing to them, help them in this transition, demonstrate God's love to them. And so with that, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we, we do come before you. We thank you for this incredible privilege that we have to be used of you to demonstrate your love as your, as your hands and feet here on the ground here in Charleston, helping this Afghan refugee family as they transition into uh, this completely different culture. And, and so I pray for this family. I pray that you would give them a peace and a comfort that they know only comes from you so that you would receive the glory, so they would be drawn to you. I pray for this circle of welcome volunteer team that you would give them wisdom, give them um, guidance as they seek to meet the needs of this family and help them during this incredibly difficult transition. And so, Father, we pray that all this would be done so that this family would come to know you, they would come to know Jesus as their Savior, that you would receive all the glory. We, we need you in this. We pray that you would go before us. We pray that you would go before this family and help everyone through this transition. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Um, we began a journey through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, a good while ago, we paused at Thanksgiving and made our way through Advent and Christmas. And then last week, we, we picked it back up in chapter 9. And hopefully, you saw uh, the beautiful side, I, I hope, of repentance, of what the biblical repentance, rich biblical repentance looks like. And it's this movement between confession and praise. Those two things joined together uh, really form the, the, the foundation of, of biblical repentance and what it, what it looks like. Now, um, some of you may know this uh, if you're a history buff, but the Protestant Reformation was launched by, uh, most scholars give credit to a guy by the name of Martin Luther, and he came up with kind of 95 thesis of what he saw wrong, you would say maybe even corruption in the church of that day. And he wrote these 95 theses. Well, the very first statement that Martin Luther made that at the top of uh, this thesis was this. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, repentance is not a one-and-done event in the life of a Christ follower. It should be an everyday, all-of-life experience. And when I was done with the message last week, here's what I sensed the Lord say. You're not done with repentance yet. And I thought, first I thought, okay, that was just for me. I'm not, yeah, I'm, you're right, Lord. You're, yes, amen. I'm not done. But no, he said it, it was for, for where we needed to go next uh, on this. And so... Um, as, I, as I pray through that and thought about it, I, I sense the Lord saying, I want you to introduce a tool uh, in this setting that I normally only use personally, individually, um, when I'm trying to disciple someone or a small group of people. 
uh, it's, a, it's a tool that is not just for repentance, it's for all kinds of processes and, and moments in, in life, but specifically it is a great tool for thinking about a journey of repentance, what it looks like, how can, I, how can I practice it, what can I do to engage a process of repentance. And so today is going to be probably more like a workshop than a sermon, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. There's a drawing. Do y'all love to draw drawings? Um, yeah, I like drawings too. And um, I'm a visual guy, and this is a visual map, really, of a journey for through re- repentance so that we might fully engage a life of repentance that, that God desires for all of his children. Now, uh, what I'm walking through uh, with you today was developed by a guy by the name of Mike Breen. Uh, I and a few others from our church were privileged to kind of be discipled by, by Mike and some of the members of his team. So this drawing was developed by him and he has given it away for, for us to use. Um, and I think one of the things that if, if there is something important that I want to teach somebody that I'm discipling, this is one of the top two or three things that I really want to help someone grab hold of as a way of thinking uh, about, about repentance. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to jump back into Nehemiah 9 for illustration so that you can kind of see Oh, that's how that worked there, so that you can kind of actually see how this journey worked in the life of the people uh, that we looked deeply at last week. So it's going to be more as an illustration, if you would. But to begin our message today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand. In just a moment, um, our team's going to play an audio file for you. And the moment that you think you know what this audio, this song is about, just raise your hand if you think you know what this song is about, Okay. Okay, go ahead, if you would, play that audio file. If you know what that song was out of the gate, then it probably tells you a little bit about your age. Just a little bit about your age. But I have one. I'm a slinky man, and today's message is really about living the slinky life. Now, in a minute, no, not in a minute, at the end, I'll explain that. So now that you're in suspense trying to figure out what in the world does slinky living have to do with discipleship and repentance, stick with me, and I promise you that, that, that we will get there. Again, we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 real quickly. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood, and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So they were reading the Bible. And then for another quarter of the day, they made confession and they worshiped the Lord their God. They confessed and worshiped. They, 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 they confessed their sins and they praised God. And again, we talked about that being the, big, the rich biblical context for what repentance does, kind of the two tracks that it runs on. But now I want us to be very, very practical in where we go next. In the Gospels, and we looked at this verse very briefly last week, in the Gospels, the Gospel writer Mark records Jesus's opening statement the day he launched his public ministry. Okay, so this is what you're about to read in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus said this, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, the the, the gospel. Now, there are four or five, six, maybe seven Greek words that I think every believer ought to know. There there are not a a ton of them, but there are some essential ones that I think. And in understanding repentance, the way Jesus taught it here, I think it's important that you understand the word for time that he used here. It's the word kairos. The word kairos. It's time. The Greek word is is kairos. And I want you to come to understand something uh, about this. If you would bring up the, the next slide, Stephen. 
Because a kairos moment, and this is the beginning of our illustration, a kairos moment is time done differently. Okay, it's, it's a different kind of time. Now, in the Greek language, there's kairos for time and there's chronos for time. Chronos is this. Tick, 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 tick. That's chronology, chronos time. Kairos time, my favorite definition of, of kairos time is time pregnant with potential. It is this time that has a, a great opportunity at its disposal, time where something incredible uh, can happen. It's a different kind of time. Have you ever heard anybody say, hey, we had a great time last night? Okay, that's kairos time. That's quality time. Then there's quantity time, but we're talking today, and what Jesus uses here in the context of repentance is we're talking about a different kind of time. And Jesus says the time had come that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, I don't know what your favorite definition of the kingdom of God is. My, mine comes from a guy by the name of, of Dr. Dallas Willard, and he says this about the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is God reigning. It's the range of God's effective will. It is present wherever what God wants done is done. Friends, the kingdom of God is all around us. It is from everlasting to everlasting. And here, here's the important thing to know. The kingdom of God is the natural place for your soul. It is the natural place where your soul finds rest and peace and hope and joy and strength and power. It's in the kingdom of God. Now, the Gospel of Matthew uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Instead of the kingdom of God, where Luke and Mark and others use the kingdom of God, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's because Matthew wanted us to understand that heaven, it, it, the heavenlies are all around us. The kingdom of God is all around us. And Jesus said there are these moments that come where you can step into the kingdom of God. Yes, I'm competing with the rain. I know it. I feel it in my body. It's just coming out of me. So, you know, if I get frazzled, and that's what it is. I'm competing. It's a competition now. Um, and I'm going to win. No, the, <laughs> probably not. But here's the, the, here's the thing about the beauty of the thing about the kingdom of God is it, is it is present, but it's not yet. It is here, but it's not fully here. There's more of it coming. There's a greater day for the kingdom of God that, that all God's people are going to step into. And Matthew, I think, recognized that in, in his use of the kingdom of heaven. But here's what Jesus says. Through him, for anybody who would follow him into his kind of life, the kingdom of God is accessible now. We can, we can walk in. We can live in. Immediately, we have direct access to the kingdom of God through a kairos moment. Through a moment in time, we have this opportunity to step into the kingdom of God. If you bring up the next slide, Stephen. I want you to let this dot represent the beginning point of your life. Your life has a definite beginning. God created you, the Bible says, in your mother's womb. He formed you. He shaped you. He knew you even before then, but he, he formed you in your mother's womb. The Bible says that you are wonderfully complex. Most husbands would say, my spouse is much more complex than I am. And you would probably be right, okay? Um, but we're all wonderfully complex, beautifully made. Stephen, if you go to the next slide. The, this next slide, I want you to let that line represent your lifeline. This is your life. Your life has a definite beginning, but your life is unending. Your life will never end. Now you're saying, Joe, hold on. There's this thing called death. The Bible says for those who are in Christ, you'll never experience death. But even those who do experience separation from God, their life will continue apart from God. Everybody has a definite beginning. Every, every individual human being on this, that's ever lived and walked on this planet, they have a beginning to their life, but their life never ends. Again, my favorite from Dallas Willard says this. He says, you are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And what that means to Joe still is this. I need to be thinking about today, right now today, I need to be thinking about what I'm going to be doing 10,000 years from now. Just think about that for a minute. Most of us try to figure out how in the world can I squeeze into only 70 or 80 years of living you weren't created for 70 or 80 years. You were created for millennia. 
to live in the presence of God, with God, forever and ever. God created you for that. That's where your soul finds its greatest joy, its greatest rest. But part of that eternal life is in the here and now. Before Christ returns and you know, fully explodes his kingdom on, on this earth. But you need to be preparing now for that e- eternity. And part of the way that God provides for us to prepare for that is giving us these kairos moments in the here and now. These opportunities to step into the kingdom of, uh, of God now. And so on the next slide, I want you to let this X represent one kairos moment. Your lifeline is filled with them. You have lots of kairos moments. A kairos moment can be a wonderful, joy-filled thing. For instance, a big kairos moment uh, for a lot of people is when their first child's born. If you've had the opportunity to be blessed with children, it's a, it's a kairos moment, man. It is filled with joy, but it's also filled with awe and fear and, oh my goodness, you know, it's crazy. But it's a good thing. But you can learn something from it if you'll step into this learning circle that we're going to use today and, and, and apply through. But there are lots of these. There are also lots and lots and lots of opportunities, kairos moments, to repent, to change the way we're looking at life. Some people, you'll hear some people talk about defining moments. It's another way to think about a kairos moment, a way that, that, that things can be changed. One of my favorite illustrations uh, of this kind of journey is speed bumps. There are, there are people who approach, I've, I found that there are people who approach speed bumps in one of three ways. You know, if you're going through like a, a neighborhood with lots of speed bumps, some people drive really, really fast, slam on brakes when they get to the speed bump and go over it. Really, really fast to the next and go over it. That's how some people move through, you know, communities with speed bumps. Other people just, they, they coast their way through the whole thing, just slowly go over a speed bump. And then there are others who don't believe speed bumps exist. And they just blow over them. Bam, 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 bam. You know, you ever seen people drive like that? Well, you can do that for a little while, but eventually you will wreck your suspension system. You'll destroy it. And if your suspension system gets destroyed enough, eventually the undercarriage will start dragging where you go. And you'll destroy the undercarriage of your vehicle. Friends, the same is true with your souls. If you blow through these kairos moments that God wants to give you, your suspension system, that which lifts you up, that which gives you life and holds you up will be destroyed if you just blow through them. That's why God gives them to you. There's a purpose for that. And I want you to think with me for just a moment uh, about this because, see, Jesus gives you kairos moments so you will learn to live the up in and out life of Christ. That's why he gives them to us. So I want you to look back for just a second at Nehemiah 3, just to give you an example again. In Nehemiah, not 3, Nehemiah 9, verse 3, they says this, For about three hours the law of the Lord their God was read to them. That's their kairos moment. They have not encountered the word of God for decades now. They haven't had an encounter with, and suddenly they have this encounter with the word of God. And look what happens. They spend the next quarter of the day In in repentance, confession, and praise. Here's the big idea for the day that I want you to be captured by. There's this tool for bringing all of life into repentance, and this is a tool called the learning circle. And this is what I want to equip you in today, is this this learning circle. So if you bring the next slide up, Stephen. The learning circle, again, is not only a tool for repentance, it's a tool for all kinds of things in life where we can learn something, but I want to apply this to the words of Jesus from Matthew, uh, from Mark chapter 1. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so next slide, Stephen, if you would. The the, the mark of this journey through the learning circle is twofold. It's repent and believe. Repent and believe. Jesus says, if you want to step into the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into it now, The way that you do that is through this process, this journey of repenting and believing. These two spiritual movements, if you would. And this is where we come to another Greek word that I think everybody should learn. It's the word that's translated here that Jesus used as repent. The word is from the root metanoia. 
And metanoia is a compound word in the Greek which simply means to change mind. That's all it means, change mind. And so what repentance is all about is changing your mind. It's not about changing your behavior. You'll never change your behavior until you change your mind. I mean, you may force yourself to stop doing something for a little bit, but until you change your mind, you won't ultimately change your behavior. Sometimes you hear people talk about, you know, repentance is going in this direction and turning and going back in this direction. Well, that moment of turn, something changed in your mind. You said, the the way I'm going is not good. It'll be better if I go this way. So you changed your mind first between, before you changed your direction. And that's what God gives us an opportunity to do in, in a Kairos moment, to repent, to, to change our minds. In Acts chapter, chapter 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. As many times Paul found himself in front of leaders, and he was given, he was given his personal testimony. And he was also giving uh, testimony about, uh, about the nation and his ministry, how his ministry formed. And in verse 20, he says this to the king. He says, first in Damascus and in Jerusalem and then in the whole country of Israel and among the Gentiles. Paul said this, I preach that they must repent of their sins, must turn to God and do things that would show they had repented. That doing things that shows you have repented, you know what that's called? Faith, belief trust in God. Those words are interchangeable. But that's what Paul was talking about here. You have to repent, and then you have to trust God. You have to, you have to do the things. You have to show that. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing about repentance and belief, okay, or repent and, and, and faith. Most of the time, when we think of repentance, the Hollywood version of repentance looks something like this. You're in church, or you're out at a a revival out in the woods or something like that in a tent, and you start feeling really bad about your sin. And you start blubbering. And snot starts pouring. And it's just, I mean, it's just a moment, man. It's emotionally charged. And you come down front, you hug somebody and get all that stuff all over them. And, you know, it's just emotional and it's out there. It's outward. That's kind of the Hollywood version of repentance. The biblical word of uh, version of repentance is most all of repentance is internal. Most all of it is a journey of what's going in because you're changing your mind, not your behavior. You're changing your mind. There may be an outward expression of that inward change, but it's about what's going on inwardly. Now, interestingly, most people think belief or faith is a private matter, that it is not something people see. That is not biblical faith. As we'll see in just a little bit, biblical faith does. Biblical faith acts. Biblical faith can be seen by everybody or it's not biblical faith. So let's just stick with me a little bit more as we go through this. So if you bring up the next slide, the first stage of repentance, first step, if you would, in biblical repentance and, and using the learning circle uh, as application here is this word observe. It's when something, when you observe the Kairos moment, when you look and say, oh my goodness, there's a speed bump in my life. What is that there for? And you stop and you pause and you, you look at it. In Acts chapter 7, the apostle is talking about kind of the history of Israel and he points back to a moment in time in Moses' life. In in Acts chapter 7, verse 30, it says this, When 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him. Now, I want you to notice something. A lot of people marvel at the sight of speed bumps in their life and blow past them. A lot of people marvel at the sight of this new opportunity and blow past it. What did Moses do? Moses went and observed. Moses timed out. He stopped and he said, dude, something's going on over here. Something happened in here and I I need to understand this. I I need to address this. And it was only in that moment that he heard the voice of God. Moses did not have to stop and observe. Moses could have been the dude that, you know, just kept running over speed bumps. But he didn't. He stopped and he observed and the Lord spoke to him. And see, 
Peter is describing this calling on Moses' life that led to just an incredible life. Friends, that's how God moves in our lives. He brings something to draw our attention, but we got to stop and we got to observe. We've got we've to look at what's going on. Back to our friends in Nehemiah's day. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 36 and 37. They said this, Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and, and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and we are in great distress. They were in great distress. That was their Kairos moment, and it caused them to stop and say, why? They observed. They they, they paused here for this moment, and they they observed the condition of their lives, of their souls, of their hearts. And they looked back and said, what is it? What's the cause of this thing? If you go to the next slide. And once they observed it, they paused to reflect. You can observe something and keep going. You know, but, but you need to do like Moses did, you, like the people of God here in Nehemiah's day. They paused and they thought about what was going on. You say, Joe, how do you know they paused and thought? If you read, go back and read like we did last week, chapter 9, verses 7 through 36, that is only and all them reflecting. They think back hundreds of years about their people and their forefathers and, and bring it all the way down to themselves, and what they were doing that brought them to this point of the condition they were in, the distress they were in, the slavery that, that they were, were living in. Go, go to the next slide if you would, Stephen. The next word that we need to think about is then discuss. So we, we observe something, we reflect on it, and then we need to have some people in our lives to discuss. Friends, true biblical repentance is never a solo act. It may start there. It may start in the privacy of your own home. It may start, you know, in a walk in the woods, just you and God. But for repentance to find traction in your soul, it will always involve other people. There will always be some public component to it. It doesn't mean it has to be done in this setting. In fact, it's better, I think, it's, it sticks better if it's done in a smaller setting with people that you're kind of doing life with, like maybe a small group, people who know you, people that you've given permission to speak truth into you, people who walk with you, some close friends. You need people like that in your life that you can stop and say, hey, this is what I think the Lord is saying to me. Do you see this in me? Is this, am, I, am I interpreting this action? Am I interpreting this moment in time? Is God drawing me into the kingdom a little differently than I'm walking? Will he, will he show me how to live differently? You need to have some people that you can discuss that with. People who will affirm and say, how about think about it this way? There may be more to it. They may help draw you deeper. But we need to start by observing, we need to reflect, and then we need to talk with some other people about that. And that's the, the, what I'll call the repent side of, of this journey. And now to move on to the, 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 the side of this that's about belief or trust, where the outward movement happens, is this, is you've got to develop a plan. There needs to be a plan of action. If God shows you something in your life, God's intent for doing that is that you will change. He wants you to change. He wants you to repent. Change your mind. Start there. And then that lead to behavior change. That, that, that moves you differently. And again, belief, other words for belief that we use are faith, trust. Those are, those are kinds of things. And they are mostly expressed outwardly. Again, it may start inwardly, but there has to be an outward expression for faith to be fully blown, fully realized. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8, we read these words. But the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds, he stands. So it starts with a plan, but then it's, it's out there. You're taking a stand with that plan. You have this plan, but then you take this stand with it. If you go back to Nehemiah chapter 9, if you look at the very last verse in that chapter, this is what you'll read. It says, because of all of this, everything that went on before, we again promise to serve the Lord. They made a decision. They've got a plan. And we and our princes and Levites and priests 
put our names to this covenant. Here's what their plan was. They wrote out a whole new covenant with God. They, uh, basically, they renewed the old covenant. But if you go to chapter 10, which we'll do in two weeks. Oh, by the way, I'm chasing a rabbit. Next week, next Sunday, um, here, uh, we are going to be blessed by uh, Brian Miller. Uh, Brian is a missionary from Medellin, Colombia, who started Esther's Home. And he's coming to be with us on Sanctity of Life Day. Uh, Esther's Home is all about saving mothers out of poverty so they don't kill their babies. And it creates this environment. I'm not, I'm not talking anymore. Brian's going to be here. He'll tell you more about it. And you'll get to hear from his experience what God is doing. Uh, and we are going to talk and we're going to pray about the sanctity of life next Sunday. So come prepared for that. But that, that, that's next week. The week after that, we are going to go into Nehemiah chapter 10. And if you want to read ahead, feel free to do that. But what you're going to discover is all of Nehemiah chapter 10 is about a covenant. It, it is about this, this covenant that they make with God. It is their faith showing action, being, being put out there in, in, in the world. That's what happens. Um, and so at the end of Nehemiah chapter 9, they, they write out their plan. Chapter 10, they, they start to live it out. And again, that, that, that's what we need to do. Now, the next step in faith is you need, some, you, need some, you need a team. You need advocates. If you'd go to the next slide, Stephen. You need some people who are advocating for this plan for you, maybe helping you adjust it, maybe helping you tweak it. I used to use the word accountability here. But here's what I discovered. Christians, when you've been one long enough, you cannot help but becoming sucked into legalism. We just have this natural tendency to want to make a stinking rule for everything and try to get everybody else to conform to that rule. And so, so oftentimes in biblical accountability, what it got transformed into is, I know what you need to do, and you better darn well get on board with this. You know? And that's sin in your life. I spotted it, you know. That, that's not biblical accountability. But I just, I got tired of trying to explain it, so I just used a better word. This, you need advocates in your life. Another word you could use are cheerleaders who will thump you on your head when you need it. Okay? You, you need people in your life who will come alongside, who you'll take your plan to, and say, here's what, after coming out of this repentance, Here's what God is telling me. Here's how he's saying I need to trust him. Here's how my faith is being reformed and shaped. Here's, here's how my mind is being changed. Here's what I think I need to walk differently. What do you think about this? And will you help me? Will you advocate for me? Will you be a champion for this in my life? And I'm giving you permission to, to observe it and check it out and maybe help me massage it. But you need advocates in your life to, to continue on to, to, to celebrate this. Look, look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18. It says, prepare plans by what? Consultation. Your plans really get honed well when you bring some other people in to have conversation with you. I love Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, let us be concerned for one another to help one another, to show love and to do good. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more. Friends, this is one of the greatest ways to encourage one another, is be an advocate for transformation, for life change, for repentance in another person's life. To be an advocate for the redemption that God wants to bring when all of us choose to be transformed by him, to have our minds changed by him. It's helping each other walk through that redemptive process. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we see that being lived out. It says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth, having dust on their heads. They stood in their place and they confessed their sins. They all shared in this experience. They were advocating for one another. They were, they were all in this journey together. They, they took it together. If you would go to the, the next slide. Th this next slide is an important one because here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people... Stop at plan. They don't even go to advocate. A lot of people stall out on this journey around the circle, never getting to transformation, 
Um, some people do this. Some people stop before they discuss because they don't want nobody to know their business. They don't want anybody in their business, in their personal business. And that will kill life change. You need people because you need them on the other side of the circle too. So some people stop right there. You know, they'll observe, they'll reflect, but they don't talk to another soul about it. It will kill you. It, it will kill you if you don't. It will stop this journey. Then other people get over here and they, they'll discuss it. They'll make this plan. And then they don't do the advocating or they don't do the next step, which is do it. Act on it. So you can make all the plans you want to make. If you get some advocates, they'll, they'll ask you, you know, you told me to come and ask you how this was going. Here I am. And here's a great follow-up question. If somebody invites you to be an advocate in their life, and they, you come to them and say, hey, how's, how's this going? And they tell you how it's going. Next question that you need to ask is, did you just tell me the truth? If you didn't, it's okay. But did you really just tell me the truth? Is it really going okay today? Because we want to hide. It's, it's, it's part of, it's part of the, the struggle, the tension. We want to walk in darkness, not in light. And it kills us. And we've got we to we keep bringing it in the light, keep bringing it in the light to our advocates. And they will encourage us to take this next step of acting, of, of, of doing this. And this is, this is where change really begins to happen. This is where we step into the kingdom of God. Psalms 76.11 says this, is a great verse. It says, make your vows to the Lord. Make plans. Tell them to God, make your plans. And then it says, and perform them. Don't make vows to God. Don't make plans to God and not keep them. Make them. Make vows to God. But then live them out. Keep them. Make, the, make them happen. James, Jesus' half-brother, was writing about what this repentance journey looks like. And he says this, this faith repentance journey. He says in verse 22 of chapter 1, don't just listen to God's word. He says you must do what it says. If you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Here's what happens so often. We come, we, you know, we're, we're reading God's word. We encounter, we have this encounter with God, maybe through his word, maybe through something, a circumstance in life, maybe through an exchange with a friend. We have this moment with God and we don't get in the learning circle. We don't observe. We don't reflect. We don't discuss. We don't plan. We don't get advocates in with it. So we never do it. And so this is such an essential part of, of, of the life journey is, is, is moving forward, getting those advocates who are cheering you on. One of the great visuals that I love from the Apostle Paul about this journey is he talks about us running the race, running the race. And then he says, and we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Right here. It's a small cloud, but it's a great cloud of witnesses. People who can bear witness, advocate for one another, champion for one another. So that then as the people of God, we can do like they did in, in, in Nehemiah's day. Get to chapter 10 where we're, where we're renewing, where we, we're rebuilding, where we're keeping covenant with God. That's what, that's what chapter 10 is all about. is renewing and keeping a covenant that we've made with God. And again, we'll dive into chapter 10 here in a couple weeks. But I want to take you to the next slide because if you, will, if you will move around the learning circle, if you will do that, go through repentance and trust with a, a plan and act on it, here's what you will begin to see. Transformation will come. Life change will come. You will begin to see God blessing you. That's what James talked about. If you will do this, you will see the blessing of God. God, God will begin to transform your heart. It's, it's what happens on the other side of this kind of biblical repentance journey where we would submit ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is a, a verse a lot of people memorize. It, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing what? Your mind. That thing that you got to change. That's what this renewing is about. You've got to be changing and it's got to be renewed because it gets stuck, it gets stagnant. It needs to be renewed and so you renew your mind and the way that you do that is you, you, you test it by discerning what is the will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? This is where you, you trust. This is where you, your faith comes. 
And that's the purpose of the learning circle, to put you on this journey for all of Christian life. But what happens if you are one of those speed bump blower buyers? What if you just choose that there's dust falling to the ground? Um, what if you just choose? What if you just choose to just blow by these speed bumps, run past these Kairos moments? What what happens to you over a period of time if you do that? Now, just running by one or two of them, your 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 lifeline will probably just continue on. You know, it'll probably just continue on. But here's what I will promise you: even as a Christ follower. If you continue to run past these defining moments, if you just continue to do that, there's going to be a moment in time where your life is going to take a nosedive. And you're going to fall under the oppressive power and spirit of the enemy. Now, I did not say possession. I said oppression. Satan can never own you if you're a child of God. He cannot. But he can oppress you so fiercely that it doesn't look much different. And so we want to avoid that. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. Paul is writing about participating in the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. It's about understanding communion and what it's all about. But in verse 21, he says something really interesting. It's like he has this sideways thought for a moment. He says this, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Friends, you can't do that over and over again. There's no way that you can just keep blowing by these opportunities that God has for you to sit down and have communion with him. Blow by these opportunities for for Kairos moments to step into the kingdom. Blow by these and not come under the oppression of the enemy. And it will impact your life in a negative way. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. You can't do it. it. It can't be done. It will catch up with you. You, it, you just can't do it. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, we read this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we have communion with him, life changes. If I'm telling myself and people around me, man, life changes, happening, transformation is going on. If, if I'm doing that and walking in darkness, the Bible says I'm lying. I'm lying to myself. I'm lying to my advocates. I'm lying to God, that, that I'm lying and I'm not practicing the truth. You, you can't sit at the table with demons and, and with the Lord. You, it, it, it can't happen. And so the alternative to that kind of life falled, you know, under oppression is a life, and this is the last slide, of continuous breakthrough. It's a life of continuous breakthrough. It's a life of lots of circles linked together. It's slinky living. That's what it is. That's what the slinky life has to do with discipleship. It's constantly on this journey of repenting and believing, of repenting and believing. And so when Martin Luther says that the whole Christian life, all of Christian life is about repentance, he was spot on, spot on. And that's true for us today. The starting place of all repentance is coming to the understanding that it is impossible for me in my own strength of life to escape punishment from God. It is impossible for me to be so good that just in my own righteousness I'm acceptable to God. The Bible says on our best days, in our best righteousness, it's like, I mean, it's actually, the, the, the Hebrew language is really gross there. I'm not going to go into the detail of it right now, but just, we'll call it filthy rags. It's just filthy rags. You're on your best day, in your best righteous state, filthy rags to God. And that's why we needed a Savior. And that's why God sent His Son. But it starts with me recognizing that in God's sight, I'm completely unrighteous. And I need, I've got to repent of thinking I can save myself. 
I've got to change my mind of thinking that I can, I can power it up, I can get good enough. That's the beginning place of all repentance. All life change is that, that moment. It's called a saving moment. It is a big Kairos moment. It has eternal implications. And maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never trusted Jesus to be your righteousness. You've never come to the place where you said, I can't do it. I need Jesus. And the Bible says if you will call upon the Lord with that kind of heart, knowing that you can't save yourself, that he will save you. It's the first and most important act of repentance. And then you can begin a life of repentance with him, a journey towards transformation, living life in the kingdom of God. Pray with me, okay? Lord, we come to a place that we come to often, a place to give you an opportunity to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, we believe that you are in this place, that we're here again, and maybe there's something you want us to observe internally. You just want us to observe it for a moment, to think about it a little deeper, reflect on it. Maybe talk with you right now, Holy Spirit. Discuss it with you. Maybe there's something you want to show us that we need to have our mind changed about. We've been thinking one way, and you want us to humble ourselves and think that maybe I need to be transformed here. Holy Spirit, we come right here again to this place to give you permission to speak to our hearts to show us like you did Moses, Holy Spirit, that you're this burning fire, but you won't consume us, but you'll give us life and light. We're here again. And we want to meet you, God, right now, right here. And again, if you've never trusted Christ, that's the greatest meeting that you'll ever have, is just meeting him here, trusting him. You just tell him, Lord Jesus, I repent of thinking that I can save myself. I repent of choosing my sin over your way for life. And I surrender myself to you, to your purposes, to your plans for me. I want to live in the kingdom of God. Save me, Jesus, now. God's word says he will. For most of us in this room, what we need to do is give the Holy Spirit an opportunity just to speak to us about one maybe small thing, maybe one small defining moment, Kairos moment, that he wants to change in our lives. He's bringing you to it right now in this moment. Holy Spirit, we come. Speak to us now. Show us. We're back here again, wanting to hear from you. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus.